most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may we know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly, day by day. Amen. Amen. What do you think makes anyone willing to die for Christ? Todd Johnson, an evangelical scholar who works on the World Christian Encyclopedia and World Christian Database, estimates that in the first decade of the 21st century, one million Christians have died for their faith, an average of 100,000 each year. Wow. Open Doors World Watch lists country after country where Christians are facing persecution. Many of these situations ultimately lead to death. Sadly, this has been the history of the church right from the beginning. And there we read about Stephen in Acts 6.8 through to 8.8, who became the first of many martyrs. For us here today who live in such privileged circumstances, it's unlikely that we shall face such extremes of persecution. However, there is a very practical lesson we can learn from Stephen, which is relevant to us all. We're all going to phone, face challenging situations at some times in our lives. The lesson we can and we need to learn is that we need to have confidence in God. It is a confidence that is based on knowing God and the loving relationship that we have with God. It is a confidence that enables us to face difficulties, hardship, persecution, and even death for the sake of Christ. So let's take a look at Stephen. What sort of man was he? We've seen that there was a concern in the early church that uh, folks should be cared for. However, with the rapid growth, it appears some felt that this was not being done fairly. And so to deal with the situation, we read in chapter 6, verse 2, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order, in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. They go ahead with this, and the first of the list of those chosen is Stephen. In verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We don't know how fully he got involved in food distribution. It, perhaps as he was doing this, that he went beyond just bringing food. As we read next that in verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And this brought about opposition, which arose from members of the synagogue as the freedmen, Jews of Cyrene and Alexander, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. But the opposition was such that with the help of false witnesses, 
Stephen was hauled up before the Sanhedrin. As he is brought there, a remarkable event took place. Verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently on Stephen. They saw his face was like the face of an angel. I don't know, was this perhaps the outward expression of his inward state of being filled with the Spirit? Or perhaps it was a reflection of the vision of heaven that he spoke about later. But it clearly had an impact on the gathering because they were now willing and listened to quite a lengthy review of Israel's history. It is in this review that we see how Stephen's confidence in God arises as he saw the evidence of God at work. He begins with the father of the nation of Abraham. Begins with the father of the nation Abraham. Note the emphasis upon God. Verse seven, chapter seven, verse two. God appeared to Abraham. Verse three. God spoke to Abraham. Verse four. God sent Abraham. Verse five. God promised Abraham. Verse eight. God gave to Abraham. It was clearly God at work that Stephen saw. And moving on from Abraham, Stephen speaks of Joseph, verse 9. Because of the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Again, the emphasis is upon God and how God gave him this position in Egypt. But then there was the problems arising, as we know from there, and then eventually he moves on, Stephen moves on to Moses. So in verse 34, we again hear God speaking. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. I think that's a lovely expression. I've heard them and I've come down to set them free. And he reminds the people, the Sanhedrin, how they refused to listen to Moses and they turned to idols. God persisted with them and gave them the tabernacle as, as a fine sign of his presence with them. Finally, he refers to Solomon and the temple. He does not continue with the divided monarchy, but he refers to the prophets simply as he concludes then with the bold statement, in spite of all the evidence of seeing God at work in their history, Stephen concludes verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. 
not perhaps surprising that this comment was not well received. And so the Sanhedrin drag him out and stone him. But Stephen faced death confident in God. Verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen appears to be quite confident about where he was going. He was confident because he knew God. He knew the relationship he had with God and that God would now receive him. Jim Packer in his book, Knowing God, points out that it's very important to distinguish between knowing about God and knowing God. You might know about someone, but that is simply a collection of facts about them. It affects your head, your mind, you know about them. But that is very different from knowing them, something which really affects the heart and usually implies a relationship. In his lengthy statement to the Sanhedrin, Stephen made it clear that he saw God had been working out his purposes and that he was going to God. So then how can we have that same sort of confidence? It is clear that knowing God is important. Jesus states in chapter 17 of John, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And John was later to make clear that for us to know God is something in which God takes the initiative. 1 John 5.20 We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. You might, for example, like to uh, know someone, but if, for example, you said, I'd like to know the Queen. Well, you can learn a lot about the Queen, but you can't really know the Queen unless she's willing to let you know if she's going to make herself available to you. And the amazing thing is that God, the Almighty God, has made himself available so that we might know him through the written word, the scriptures, and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we read in 1 John 14, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And later, uh, when the Lord was taking leave of the disciples and they had questions for him, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even if I have been you with such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so Paul writes to the Philippians, whatever were gains to me, I consider the loss for the sake of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And writing to the Ephesians, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. So then, if we're to get to know someone, it requires that we spend time with them. We learn about them. We come into a relationship with them. So for us who have been given the scriptures, we need to give careful attention to the scriptures and to Jesus so that we will really get to know God and in knowing him, have confidence in him so that we may be sustained when we face hard circumstances as we undoubtedly will at times and maybe even at some time persecution. It's said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Um, however, persecution can be both positive and negative. We see that it's being positive in Acts, and more recently it's been positive as we see God at work in China, and Iran, and other places. But then it was negative in Turkey. Just think Turkey was once the home of the seven churches, and now is largely non-Christian. So we need to pray for those who are facing persecution at this time, that they will have great confidence in God. And perhaps we can also help, and we should be helping in practical ways, by supporting organisations like Open Doors and Barnabas Fund, as they seek to bring help and relief to the church, which still, down through the ages, as has ever been the case, is in many places being severely persecuted. Perhaps as we close, someone would pray and would remember particularly those who are suffering persecution at this time. <laughs>